Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Welcome to the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor of Pitchfork, and I'm here with our reviews editor, Jeremy Larson. Hello. Jeremy wrote an article a few months ago about why you should listen to new music, why you must, and why it's also really hard to sometimes. Turns out there is a scientific explanation, or what our understanding is of the science in Jeremy's layman's terms for why sometimes you have to go way out of your way to get into a new album or a new genre or sound or an artist you're not necessarily familiar with. Even for us who do this for a living, for people who obsessively consume music and are really excited to do so, it can be difficult. Jeremy, have you ever experienced this kind of weird brain block? Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels so difficult to even pay attention. You know that experience of like, you're in a car with someone and your friend's like, hey, listen to this song. And you're like, okay. And your friend's just like grooving along next to you and like trying to like get you really into it. And you're like, I mean, it sounds cool, I guess. Like, I guess I'll have to listen to it again. It's like, no, 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 listen to this part. I'm like, yep, heard that part. Like, it, I'm glad you love it. Like one day I'll get there. His brain or his or her brain is already at the stage where it's releasing like the right amount of dopamine and your brain is stuck in <laughs> shitty neutral trying to relate to your friend who's showing you a cool song. Well, Jeremy, what's your understanding of why it can be so hard to listen to new music? Yeah, so before I go into this, I just want to say that I'm not a scientist, but this is backed up by some science, so bear with me. Listening to new music is sort of related to, I would say, basically the plasticity of our brains, right? Brains are plastic because that's how they learn and grow and, and create new things. So when you hear something you're not familiar with, when you hear a sound you're not familiar with, or a genre you're not totally familiar with, or a voice that doesn't sound like something you've heard on the radio a hundred times, what happens is in your brain it, it releases a lot of dopamine. And it kind of sends your brain a signal that they don't really like it, that your brain can't really understand it and it's a little bit too much for your brain. But the more you listen to this new music, the more the music maps a pattern onto your brain and the more dopamine is regulated to your body so that it's sending the right balance of chemicals that gives you pleasure. And one thing that I loved about your article is that it showed that people's rejection of the unfamiliar isn't exactly new. So you wrote about this kind of mythical example from over 100 years ago, which took place back in Paris in 1913, when apparently Igor Stravinsky, who was at the time this up-and-coming hotshot composer, 
was about to debut his new ballet called The Rite of Spring. Jeremy, can you tell us about the music and what the reaction was on the opening night of that ballet? Yeah, so Stravinsky was a kind of composer who never really wanted to repeat himself. So when he was composing Rite of Spring, he was playing around with all of these different little harmonies. So the Rite of Spring opens with this bassoon riff, and it doesn't sound like a bassoon at all. It sounds like an English horn. It's like... And and it, it's a little odd because a bassoon you usually think of just like a you know kind of like a like waddling around and that's so I think people were a little even confused by that because a, a bassoon never really plays in that high of a register but the really crazy things happens in the second movement called the augers of spring and what he does is he he lands on this one chord. And he just repeats this one chord over and over again with a different accent on a different beat. And it's almost impossible to keep track of where the downbeat of the symphony is. And it's a little just jarring trying to follow along with what's going on. So it's, it's like meant to be jarring. It's meant to be very jarring. So as soon as it started... The audience, when they heard these notes that Stravinsky composed, they really didn't know what to do with it because they had never heard anything like this before. And when it started, it created this feeling in people that, that they they really didn't know what to do with. And they were they were angry and they were sort of screaming and, and booing. And like a fight broke out at the show and 40 people were kicked out. People were like throwing vegetables like they do in cartoons. Like apparently that was like also a thing that that, that happened. And why was that? Like, why was there a riot at the ballet? Right, exactly. I mean, mainly, obviously, what caused the riot was the music. And to think that, like, all of this could spawn a riot may seem a little silly 100 years later. But it's also not what people expected and it's not what people wanted. When you go into something expecting and wanting something and you get something else, you're immediately a little displeased or taken back. And I think it's important to note that it's now considered a great work of art. Oh, yeah. I mean, sort of the epilogue to that is that with each successive performance, people got used to it and people started liking it more and more. And by the time it was performed a year later, Stravinsky was had to walk in and out of the theater with a police escort because mm-hmm. he was being <laughs> mobbed by people because people loved it so much. So part of this is, is that when you hear something new and unfamiliar, your brain doesn't want it right away. It, it doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't know how to file it. I think one thing I wanted to point out there is that the science of your brain literally having to learn how to like something, to me, it also feels like one of the main reasons why you should listen to new music is because it's a learning opportunity. Why do you think it's important for us to be listening to new music right now? I think being engaged with new music is a way of being engaged with the present. And during a pandemic, 
it can seem a little scary to engage with the present because the present is not a very fun time. It's filled with death and fear and trauma and joblessness and a tanking economy. This is going to sound involuted and kind of stonery, but hear me out. (laughs) It's important to engage with the present because soon that's going to become the past and that's going to be your future nostalgia. Totally. I mean, just the fact that listening to new music feels like embracing perspective that isn't your own and access to communities, cultural happenings, dramas and traumas and like celebratory things that you have no access and often no right to. And it's being presented to you in a way that is like willingly asking for your participation or your engagement in it feels special. Yes, absolutely. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle, and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Jeremy, something else we need to talk about is that listening to and thinking about new music is also just really fun. And I wonder if part of that is because so much new music actually reminds us of old music that we already love. Like everything is in some way derivative of or influenced by or samples something that already exists. And I feel like we're seeing a lot of that right now, especially. What music has stuck out to you as something that felt like a nod to something that already exists in the world that you already feel comfortable with, but at the same time felt really exciting and, you know, new to you? Yeah, I think that indie rock sort of writ large does this a lot. It goes in these tiny little cycles of um, moving forward and, and retilling a field that was sowed five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, and one band that does that, I think, really well recently uh, is this Chicago band called Dead. Love um, them. They just put, and they just put out their new album, Flower of Devotion. And I think that when you hear this album, you will immediately think of indie pop from the late 2000s you'll think of cults um the vocal style of the vocalist you'll think of maybe david byrne it's a little kind of off kilter and yelpy but there's so much melody and harmony to it the guitars are just kind of jangly and the songs are very tightly focused pop songs but the way they're shaped they're just a little oblong and they're a little different (laughs) um just enough to sort of say like this is new and this is like new indie rock and when there's enough balance of pop history and this little 
interesting, unfamiliar, unexplored, unmappable sector of their music. <laughs> That's what makes it so exciting and so new to me. I just want to like point to what you were saying about how it's pulling from these other things that were very recently pleasant and familiar and comforting to us as recently as five to six years ago, you know? And I feel like that's something that we see in the pop industry all the time, that they repeat kind of massive trends 10 to 15 to 20 years later. And then audiences are even more comfortable with like, that pop music burrowing into their brain because they recognize those patterns. They maybe grew up with some of them or that they heard them on the radio when they were kids. And the quote unquote new music is actually a mirror of something that was already once successful and beloved. Yeah. I mean, you're describing eighties and nineties hip hop. Like that's like how, how that started. So juicy by Biggie sampled Matumi's Juicy Fruit. And if you don't know, now you know, you know, you know very well who you are. Don't want to hold you down. Not only do you see it in samples, this is a huge thing in jazz, you know. I would say that a lot of jazz is based around knowing a handful of select chord changes. So, of course, there's the 12-bar blues, there's the 16 bar blues, which is, you know, every Albert King and Chuck Berry song. And those are still used today. You know, I, w- I always talk about the New Order progression, which is basically just rocking back between the one and the four. Yeah, uh, yeah. They do that. They do that really well. LCD Sound System stole that from them. A lot of yeah. other bands steal that from them. But all that is to say is that, like, the more you recognize them in and the more they get repeated in music, the more familiar you are with it. Yeah. It's like tricked you into feeling like this is supposed to be part of your life. Right. Exactly. And this is I mean, this is basically how pop music has worked since the dawn of time is that eventually you hear a song enough and you start to like it. It's not because the song is necessarily good by any sort of <laughs> critical or aesthetic level. It's just because your brain has heard it enough times that it no longer finds it unfamiliar or displeasing. Right. So the major labels or the pop music industry definitely have that advantage, but the lesser known artists or indies don't as much. So how do you think about the role of a critic to help translate that music for listeners? I often think that the, there is that relationship between listener to artist to critic is that the artist is articulating an emotion that the listener is feeling. And then the critic is sort of articulating uh, the context of where that emotion comes from and maybe getting even more specific into that kind of emotion. And I also feel like critics can help listeners find, you know, the in to a difficult song or an album. Are there any tips that you, you know, Mr. Reviews Editor of Pitchfork have on how to listen to new music? How do you get past an initial block that your brain might be putting up? Yeah, so a couple things. One is I try to avoid two screening with music. 
if you think of music as one screen, uh, I try to close all the other screens in my life to just <laughs> spend time with that. Another thing I try to do, and this is going to sound so insufferable, but like I try to <laughs> think of it as meditation. And meditation is really hard because you have to think about nothing and free your brain of any thoughts. So I try to just sort of sit and be present with a song, just one song, and not think about anything else but that song for its duration. And try to think about just doing that. And how often do you do that during the day? How often are yeah. you just sitting there doing nothing and listening to a song? It yeah. is harder than you think. Yeah, that's definitely true. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, Pooja. And if you want some help finding new music to soundtrack your life right now, let us recommend something to you. Leave us a voicemail at 917-524-7371 and Pitchfork's music critics will try to help you out. Again, that number is 917-524-7371. We'll take a listen and pick a few to feature on an upcoming episode. The Pitchfork Review is hosted by me, Pooja Patel, Thanks to Jeremy Larson for coming on the episode. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy D. Larson, and you can follow me at Sonari. You can follow Pitchfork on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pitchfork. This episode was produced by Caitlin Pierce and our executive producer, Alex Kappelman, with help from assistant producers Ben Montoya and Alex Jerome. It was edited by Todd Whitney and Jasmine Aguilera. Our original music is by Andrew Epen of Basement Crafts. The episode was mixed and scored by Ben Montoya. Special thanks to Amy Phillips and Julie Shen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through of Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through of Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.